no human is, is really the leader of the church. In the Gospels, Jesus said, I will build my church. And then when he ascended into heaven, he sent someone to lead the church. Who did he send to lead the church? It's the Holy Spirit. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. So I heard about this guy. He was just riding down the road, minding his own business. He was singing along with the music on the stereo. And all of a sudden, a rabbit jumped out right in front of him. He hit the rabbit. He got out of his car to see what the damage was. And much to his dismay, disappointment, devastation, the rabbit was dead. This man was an animal lover. He was a sensitive man. And so he just began to stand there on the side of the road weeping. Till along drove up this lady who saw him on the side of the road. She walked over to him and said, sir, what in the world is going on? He explained the situation. This rabbit jumped out in front of me. I hit the rabbit. The rabbit's now dead. I am devastated. The lady said, have no fear. She walked back to her car. She came back with a can. She took that can and she sprayed that rabbit from head to toe. And after about 10 seconds, that rabbit popped up back to life. And began to hop down the road. After about 10 feet, the rabbit turned around and waved. And then he hopped about 10 more feet. After which he turned around and waved. And then he hopped about 10 more feet. And then he turned around and waved. Until he hopped out of sight. And the man turned to this woman and said, What in the world is in that can? And she turned around the can and showed him. It said, Hairspray. Restores life to dead hair, and adds permanent wave. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm here all day. Don't you wish you could just spray something on and it would fix all the difficult moments of life? It doesn't work quite that way. In fact, when we go through life's difficulties, usually you can just look at us and see what's going on. Why? Because of this phrase. We say, it's written all over your face. I want to ask you that question today. What's written all over your face? It's a biblical truth that our face, our countenance demonstrates what's on the inside. Ecclesiastes 8.1 said, a man's wisdom makes his face shine. The hardness of his face is changed. Today, you're going to see an example of a man of God whose countenance demonstrated what was going on inside of his life. Listen to the key verse, Acts 6, verse 15. Watch this. Thank you. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Could that be said of you? Has anybody accused you of having the face of an angel? I have to tell you, as somebody who stands and talks to folks for a living, often I look out at faces that don't exactly look like angels. Not because they look demonic, but just because they look like the weights and the burdens, the difficulties, the challenges of life have weighed us down. 
So how do you control what's written all over your face? Some of you need to know that today. How do you determine that regardless of what's happened outside, regardless of the things that transpired on my way to church, in the car, in the hallway, or in the pew in the middle of the song, regardless of these things, I, I I want to walk in the joy of God. See, I believe our countenance is impacted by our characters. And our character is what's inside of us. It's our godliness. Godliness is not determined by what you do. It's not determined by what you know. It's determined by who and whose you are. Most of us never understand that simple truth. We spend our life trying to do something to be better or trying to know something. But, but I've known a lot of folks who do good things and who know a lot about the things of God who don't seem to be very godly. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to pause, just take another time out and ask God in these moments to speak to us once more. Just ask the Holy Spirit to so fill this place with his manifest presence that we are changed. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, that's our cry. Teach us what we don't know. Give us what we don't have. Make us what we've not yet become. God, church and religion and the difficulties of life and circumstance, they've impacted us all so much and so often it's kept us from you. Meet us here. Holy Spirit, we want what only you can give. Fill this place and then fill us so that we may be different. So that, Jesus, we might be like you. And and we ask this in your name. Amen. See, that's the design. As Christ followers, we're supposed to be like Christ, a recent convert to Christianity from Islam, said if Christians were truly Christians like Christ, there would be no Islam. Our lives would so impact the culture around us that that there would be change. And in Acts chapter 6, we see a godly man whose life had that kind of impact. The circumstances still didn't turn out the way he would have wished that they would. But his life made an impact. His name is Stephen. His story doesn't take up a lot of space in the word of God. There are really just two chapters where we deal with him. But his life demonstrates godliness even in the midst of extreme persecution. So we're going to talk about today how you become this kind of godly man or woman in our culture today. But first, let's review. We've been walking through Acts. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus went up. The Holy Spirit came down in Acts chapter 2. The disciples, the apostles, they went out. The lost people came in, and the church was born. And what was 120 disciples kind of instantly became about 3,000 disciples. And the Bible tells us that after that, Their number was added to daily. And the church was growing. The number of those who followed Jesus was multiplying. And and what happens when that happens? 
Well, the enemy wakes up. And, and we've been reading about the different ways the enemy from without and, and from within begin to rise up against the church. And that's what took place again in Acts chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, and I love one of the translations I read, it says, when the disciples were rapidly multiplying. Oh, I long to be a part of a church where we see the number of those who profess Christ multiplying rapidly. When that happened, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, this is really not even the main passage I want us to focus on today, but we can't just gloss over it. I need you to get a few things from this. First, I want you to see that the disciples were growing. That's God's intent. When a Christ follower is healthy, I don't care if you've got the word pastor or worship leader or missionary or deacon in front of your name. When a Christ follower is healthy, they are making disciples. Some of you have been stellar church attenders, even fantastic church members. But if you've done that for 30 and 40 years and there are no disciples following after you, you are doing something wrong. Because a healthy Christ follower in a healthy church is growing in number of disciples. But I want you to see a second thing. It says the number of disciples were growing. It didn't say the number of church members. It didn't say those who came to a worship service. It called everybody disciples. Now, this is interesting because in the Gospels, what are the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. What do we call those who follow Jesus? Jesus and the 12? And we think of them like heroes of the faith. I mean, they were the Green Beret. They were the one chosen by Jesus. They were the one doing the miracles. They were the disciples. But here in the book of Acts... All of those who follow Jesus are given that same terminology. (sighs) Could it be that one of the reasons the church has lost its power is because we don't see ourselves as disciples of Christ. We've seen ourselves as members of a club or an organization or an institution or a church. We're disciples and, and that we're growing. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Has anybody ever complained to you? Raise your hand if if you've ever received a complaint about anything. Yeah, of course we have. 
And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're one of the ones complaining. But what was happening here is the complaints were growing. There were growing pains. We've had four boys, all of them. I can remember the times they had growing pains. Usually it was in their legs. They would come to, Mommy, Daddy, it hurts. Sometimes we would end up going to the doctor, and most often it would come back. It's just growing pains. They're, they're going through the changes in life that cause some pain and that was happening in the church. So there began to be complaining. And th this complaining is kind of funny because it was old ladies. In fact, I have a message I've preached on the first part of Acts 6 in the past. And I've called it, What Happens When Old Ladies Fight? Because this was kind of like WWE for the widows. I mean, they, they were going after it. One group was jealous because the other group was not getting treated in the same way. And, and so all of a sudden, the leaders of this new church were thinking, what are we going to do? It, all the complaints are growing. And so these human leaders were losing their focus. Now, I, I've said human leaders intentionally because who is the leader of the church? Yeah, the, I, I want you to understand, often we go to a church because we like the preacher or, or because we like the worship, but no human is, is really the leader of the church. In the Gospels, Jesus said, I will build my church. And then when he ascended into heaven, he sent someone to lead the church. Who did he send to lead the church? It's the Holy Spirit. Not, not a human I want you to understand our heritage in, in this gathering, in this body, our heritage is Baptist. And, and one of the things that Baptists have not done well is we, we don't often talk about the Holy Spirit, but he, he's part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a person. There, there are three persons in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus to, to lead and empower the church. And, and then maybe one reason we don't see the church impacting society as it should today is because we don't just cry out to the Holy Spirit to lead us. And so these human leaders, though, and they were distracted. I mean, they had there were now 12 of them because they'd filled Judas's spot and and they were thinking, what are we going to do? The widows are fighting, and, and we can't do what we're supposed to do. What were they supposed to do? Prayer and the ministry of the Word. See, you want your human leaders, you want your pastor uh, to, to be able to focus on prayer and the ministry of the Word. Because prayer is one of the methods that the Holy Spirit uses to speak to us. And guess what? The living Word of God is another method that the Holy Spirit uses to speak to us. So if I'm not in prayer, if I'm not in the Word, it's hard for me to give you a word from God, right? There are a lot of other things we do. and In fact, I'm well aware of the, uh, the reality that some of you don't even understand. What does a pastor do? Uh, there have been times in our life as our boys were growing up that some of the boys even said, Hey, Dad, what do you do? I, I can remember like it was yesterday running high school cross country. And the first day I met the coach, I shook his hand, and he looked in my eyes, and he said, feel that hand? That's the hand of a man that works, not like your daddy. See, we, we can forgive often, and we don't forget the hurts in our life, do we? And, and so 
I recognize some of you don't understand that even on a week like this where I was away representing you in our denomination at our, our Southern Baptist Convention that we were dealing with administrative things in the church. I had calls about personnel issues in our church. The most challenging thing that I deal with is just the staffing, the, the personnel of our church. We had calls about the finance of our church. I came back and was part of a tremendous vacation Bible school and then uh, celebrated baptizing 12 uh, young men and women on, on Friday night. Give God praise for that. Would you do that, church? Yesterday afternoon, uh, left my family for a little bit to have the privilege of go hang out for about an hour with someone in the hospital. So there are a lot of things I do, but according to Scripture, what I should be focused on is prayer and the ministry of the Word, and the human leaders weren't able to focus on that, so they appointed deacons. And the deacons, these seven, as they're called throughout Scripture, were appointed for the purpose of bringing unity to the body. Don't miss this because some of you have been misinformed. You grew up in church where you thought deacons were a board. They were the administrators. They were the governors of the church. That's not what it is in Scripture. They were there to, to serve, which then brought about unity. Because unity is important. And, and, and we see that when the church experiences growing pains, even something as silly as who's getting the food first can cause disunity. And, and so that's why in church you have to make a decision, this thing we've said several weeks in a row now, that in essentials, on the things that matter, we've got to have unity, but on non-essentials we have liberty, right? There are some things we're just going to agree to disagree about. But in all things we're going to have charity. We're going to decide that we will get along. And, and so what happens is the next two chapters zero in on one of these deacons, Stephen, and we're going to see that he really serves a short term. Because in chapter 7, what we'll talk about next week is he pays the ultimate price. He gives his life for his faith. But at the end of chapter 6, we're seeing that those who are coming up against him are overwhelmed by the fact that when they look at him, just looking at him, something seems different. Now, I want you to understand something. We will all have moments where we, in the flesh, can't control what's going on right here. You know what it's like to turn to a spouse or to a child and say, what's wrong? And have them say, nothing. And then you, if it's not a wise moment, say something like this. Well, then tell your face. Because there are those times we can't control what is going on right here. But, but what we're going to see, if I am a person who's following after God, my face should reflect the one I'm following. If people don't see on your countenance that you are different, then, then something's just not quite right. So let's look at Stephen. and In verse five, 5 it says, And when they said, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen. He's the first one mentioned of the deacons. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then look in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and, and those from Sicilia and Asia, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. 
but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So what we're seeing here is it's possible to get so filled with the spirit of God that even when those rise up against you, they recognize, I, I can't deal with this. There's something in them that is greater than that which is in me. And, and what was in Stephen was this overt godliness. It was evident. So how do I experience that kind of godliness? Men on Father's Day. Let me just tell you something. There's a lot of things we want to give our children. There, there's a lot of things in addition to those tangible things. We, we like to give them gifts. I love giving gifts, but in addition to gifts, which will always be limited, no matter how wealthy you are, your ability to do that will always be somewhat limited. But in addition to that, there are many things we want to give them, right? You know, as, as my children... Or growing up, I, I want them to get manners. I, I want them to get how to, to treat a lady. I, I want them to see that from how I treat their mother. I, I want them to uh, understand how to make it out in the world. I, I love that they're learning how to play different sports. I, I want them to understand the importance of a work ethic. There's a lot of things I want them to give. But the greatest thing a father can give a child is to let them see that their daddy loves Jesus. To let them see that godliness is a part of who you are. So I want to give you three questions that kind of speak to that. The first one is this. Who or what is shaping your character today? Because godliness starts with that character that's within us. Now remember we've learned that who you are determines what you see and what you see determines what you do. What you feel and what you feel determines what you do. So uh, what is shaping? Who is shaping your character? Stephen was a man whose character was shaped by the Holy Spirit of God. Do you understand what character is? Character is who you are when no one is looking. Character, as I read probably 20 years ago in a leadership book, is like that bowl of soup that the waiter's carrying on his tray as he comes to your table and something trips him up and a little bit of that soup spills out of the bowl. Character is what spills out of the bowl when you're tripped up. It's what comes out when the tube of toothpaste is squeezed. John Wooten put it this way, the legendary basketball quote, coach. He says, be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are. Your reputation is merely what others think you are. And it's easy for those of us like us who hang out periodically in places like this to, to put on a mask and let people think we're something. But our character is who we are and it will ultimately and always come out. John Maxwell, that leadership guru, says no matter what you think about your attitude, it shows on your face. Or the wisest one who ever lived apart from Jesus said in Proverbs 15, 13, a glad heart makes a cheerful countenance. But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. A glad heart makes a cheerful countenance. 
if you're a Christ follower, I'm, I'm just telling you, there are probably some things, there's probably some business you need to do today. It's, it's hard to imagine that any of us here didn't hear that testimony of Stephen and think, hey, there, there's nothing I need to adjust. There's, there's no feeling that I need to be more filled with. And so I want to encourage you in just a moment just to, to take this time sing in a minute or there in your seat just spend these minutes with God you've been listening to the Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis the Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement but it can't be done without your financial support go to missionhill.org and click on the give tab your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about god and themselves thank you for giving at missionhill.org and join us weekdays at 9 a.m for the barnabas effect with pastor paul purvis on faith talk am 570 and 910